Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is Jesus' genealogy, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. Now, here's Pastor Chris. Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Good to see you all. Let's pray. God, as we now begin uh, another journey through Scripture, Lord, as we look at the lives of Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary, please be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. There once was a man who was lost in the desert. And after walking and walking and walking, he found this dirt road or path. And he kept walking and walking and walking, and finally he saw a building in the distance, so he kept going and going. When he got to the building, it was locked up. It looked like somebody lived there, but nobody was home. And the man who'd been walking and walking all day was parched with, with, with thirst. All of his skin had salt because of all the sweat that he had emitted just from walking, and he was dying of thirst. He was hungry, but water was more important. And so finally he saw on the side was a water pump. And next to the water pump was a bucket. And on the, on the pump was a note. And the note said, Please prime the pump and it will work. Pour the water on the pumps. Because in the bucket... There was some water. So the man had a decision to make. He could ignore its warning and drink the water that was inside the bucket. Or he could drink a portion of it and hope that enough of it will prime the pump. Or he could wait a little bit. He could pour the water on the pump. And hopefully there would be a lot of water, much to his desire. The man thought and thought, and then realized, well, I've got nothing else to lose. So he takes the bucket, and he pours all the water onto the pump in the hopes that it would be primed. And he starts to work the pump. And at first, nothing happens. I'm discouraged, thinking I made the wrong decision. It continues, and finally, a little sliver, a little sliver of water comes out. And then he continues and pumps, and all of a sudden he could feel this rush of water coming out and dumps into the bucket more than enough, so much so that he not only has enough water to drink, but he has enough water to shower and get all of the salt and grime that had gotten crusted on his arms and on his face and on his legs. Cool, cold, refreshing water deep from the ground. When he left, though, he magically had a pen, and he wrote on the pen, please prime the pump with the water. But then he wrote, believe me, it works. We have the same choice. We can choose to settle on what we already have in the hopes that it will carry us through and not believe that better things are in ahead and we can settle for immediate satisfaction. Or 
we can trust God and give up all that we have to get what God has promised us. And I think the choice, it's rather simple. Maybe it is for us because we believe, but we, we need to be able to pour all the water and trust that God will handle everything in our future. And when we experience what God has given us, this awesome living water, it's also important that we also share this living water with others. So pump the water and believe that it works. As we look to Jesus' genealogy, we find three additional individuals who had to live by faith in many respects to pour out the water and believe and trust that God will do a miracle in their lives. One of the first stories that we can find is the story of Ruth. And we find Ruth, a Moabitess, her story is sandwiched in between the book of Judges and Samuel. And I think it's important because her story takes place in the time of Judges just before the monarchy, or actually theocracy, that God establishes on earth with Saul and David. Her story, in many respects, is a bridge between the Judges and Samuel. We find that uh, Elimelech and Naomi, her in-laws, were from Bethlehem, but there was a famine in the land, and so they go to Moab. They left Bethlehem, which, as we've studied earlier before, what does Bethlehem mean? The house of bread, okay? The house of bread. They left what was supposed to be the house of bread, the land of goodness, and yet there was famine in Bethlehem. So they go to Moab. And it's there in Moab that they also have two sons, Malon and Kilion, and they find two wives for them, Ruth and Orpah. As time went on, though, Elimelech uh, passes away. And then eventually, as time goes, uh, goes on, the two sons as well pass away. And the mother-in-law, Naomi, has no life. She decides she's going to go back home to Bethlehem. And so she tells her daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, go back to your families. I'm going back home. Orpah decides to go back to her own family, but Ruth, Ruth was determined to stay with Naomi. We don't know exactly if she had other family, but she was determined. Now, it's interesting as well for Ruth, in some ways, it was uh, maybe a, a little, um, it was uncertain for her because she was a Moabite. And to go back to uh, Bethlehem, she would be amongst the Jews. And at the time, Jews and Moabites, and especially as we'll find later, after Babylon and all the, the Israelites, they don't exactly perceive Moabites very well. So we find Moabites were hated by the Jews, especially in the exilic and the post-exilic period, meaning after Babylon, okay, when they were exiled. And yet, Ruth was so determined, 
she tells Naomi, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So Ruth and Naomi, they take the journey back to Bethlehem. I don't know how long that was, but when you look on a map, it's a fair distance. And when they, when they get back home, Naomi's home, they welcome her and greet her, good to see you and everything, but then she responds with, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because my life has become very bitter. Naomi feeling the sense of loss, both of her sons and her husband, gone. That's a heavy load to bear. And Ruth as well is with her. And so we find that when, when they get back, obviously they need to be able to eat. And so Ruth, a Moabitess, not from that area, goes out. And they're, and they're, they're taking up the grain. And all the, the people who were working the fields wouldn't get everything. So she would grab the extras, the leftovers, the stocks and the hopes that she would be able to get enough grain to be able to make a meal, make some bread, uh, porridge, or something to be able to eat. And it's along this time that we find Boaz notices and asks, who is this woman who is, is uh, trying to take up the strands of leftovers? And they report to her, it's Ruth, Naomi's daughter-in-law. And so he watches and he finds out and finds out that she's been super faithful to her mother-in-law, cares for her, watches out for her. And he tells uh, his guys to make sure that she's protected and even tells her, don't go to another field, stay in my field, and you'll be okay. In fact, he tells his workers to leave extra husks out so she wouldn't just be getting the scraps, but she would actually get a good amount of grain so that she and Naomi could more than survive. Now, imagine being Ruth. She's in a different country, far from her own home. I'm sure I I know a number of us here, for instance, have made that trek from a country and have come here. I know some of you have come from the Philippines, some here from Mexico, from other different parts of Central America, and other different parts of the world, South America, to leave your own family and to come here was probably at a great cost because you probably were not able to be able to see your family. Today it's different because technology. We can FaceTime or Skype with somebody. We can see their face. We can see their actions. We can see the joy on their face or their sadness, whatever it may be. For Ruth to leave her home, there was no guarantee that she would see her friends and family again. But she's committed to staying with Naomi. And out of her faithfulness, she continues, and Naomi sees that Ruth needs to be taken care of as well. So they hatch a plan where she goes and she sees uh, Boaz. 
And when she gets to Boaz, there, Boaz has been at the threshing floor. Uh, I guess at that time, it would be normal for them to have a get-together, a party. And there they're threshing the wheat. And as darkness falls in the middle of the night, Boaz hears that there's somebody at his feet and he kind of freaks out. And he finds that it's Ruth. What is she doing there? And it's there that she says, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are my guardian redeemer. Sorry. The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Ruth had a good standing reputation. And as we talked about last week as well with Tamar and Judah, she was seeking protection and, and, and to be cared for. And Boaz, following the Leveret law of caring for those who uh, a family member would pass, uh, he, he went the next day because there was somebody in, in the family who was closer and indicated he would like to buy everything, all of Naomi's estate. And so he shared this with this uh, other uh, family member who had first rights but then when he mentioned that you would have to also marry and care for Ruth, he was like, oh, wait, no, 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 no. I don't want to ruin my own family, all right? <laughs> so Boaz, in faithfulness, they agree he would inherit and he would care for. And they did this by taking off their sandal, take my shoe, and passing it over. That was their way of giving a handshake or signing it into practice. And as you'll read the story, you'll know that Ruth and Boaz have a son. Everybody remember their, his name? Obed, who also had Jesse. And Jesse also had who? David. David. So as we continue in the story, we see that Ruth, faithful Ruth, a Moabite, leaves her own land and family to go to another land and care for and be with Ruth a faithful woman caring for her family as well, ends up marrying Boaz, and eventually they have Obed, who also has Jesse, and ultimately David. I love the story of Ruth as well, because Ruth, being a Moabitess, she wasn't an Israelite. She wasn't a Hebrew. She wasn't a Jew. But it shows that God's, Love and grace extends beyond Israel, beyond the Jews, to even the Gentiles and the Moabites, the Ammonites. It's here that we see that God does not just focus on his people, but that he loves and desires that all may be saved. Now, as we go through this story, though, it continues the next person in Jesus' lineage and genealogy is that of David and Bathsheba. But this is a story, this is a painful story. We find that in 2 Samuel chapter 11, that at the time, in the spring, during the winter, they'd taken a sabbatical from warfare. But David sends his men, Joab and all the other uh, kings, they, he sent them out to go and fight his battles. 
and David, who normally always led from the front, was at home. And when he was at home, he gazed across and he saw a woman, a beautiful woman, getting cleaned up. And it's there that he asks, who is this? And he finds out it's Bathsheba. So much so that she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And then in verse 4 it says, Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now, then she went home and the woman conceived and she sent word to David saying that I am what? I am pregnant. When we look at this story, we realize there's some things that, to be honest, we find that it gets uncomfortable because how is this man, who is a man after God's own heart as well, he starts to make some really bad decisions and ultimately we find that, oops, sorry, we find that it's the beginning of his downfall as a king because after this incident, there's a, his, David's whole life gets a huge whammy. And it, it, it's also interesting, too, that David just doesn't ask. He sends and brings her back to his place. And so when she gets pregnant, David starts to freak out because he knows that he's, been, he's got a pickle on his hands. How is he going to handle this? One thing that... I've noticed as well as when leaders have been in authority for long enough, they sometimes lose their humility and piety. And all of a sudden, they think they can do whatever they want. Have you ever experienced that? Just because I'm in charge, you have to do what I have to say. Or do this, do that. Or I want this, I want that. And David gets, on, it gets comfortable. So while his men are out fighting and doing his business, he is at home. And he realizes he's now in a pickle because Bathsheba is pregnant. She's married to Uriah. And when those guys come home, what's he going to do? So what does he do? He brings in Uriah. He winds and dines him. And then... David hopes that he goes home, but where does Uriah go? He goes to be with his men, like a good leader, because all of his men are out in the fields. They're not able to go home. And how could he, as a good commander, he's got to lead by example. He stays with his men, right? So David, he tries to get, hey, why don't you know, just go home, hang out with your wife? You can go with that. But he doesn't. Finally, he has to take the last desperate measure. He sends his men out and he tells Joab, his troop commander, to put Uriah at the front, where is the most dangerous. And Uriah, he was a faithful, noble warrior. He went out and they struggled, they battled hard. And just as David was hoping, what happens to Uriah? He dies. And he responds back 
Joab sends word that Uriah has died. David responds back. But now David hasn't just slept with another woman that wasn't his wife. He's also committed what? He's committed murder. So much so that guess who comes along later? The prophet Nathan. And he tells a story of of a man, a rich man who had a neighbor who was a poor man. And the poor man had a little lamb. And the lamb literally would eat off this man's hand. He was like a member of the family. And the rich man had a visitor come in. And the rich man had plenty of lambs. But no, he went to his neighbor and took his neighbor's little lamb, butchered it, and fed it to his guest. And as Nathan is telling this story to David, David, even right now, I'm not going to lie, this, every time I read this story, I get, in, I get mad. David gets incensed. He's, how dare he? Who is this? Let's, justice must be done. Nathan literally calls him out. You are that man. And David, cut to the heart, knows that he has been caught, knows what he has done. And it's there that David then, afterward, suffers immeasurably. His own family, his own sons, turn against each other and even murder because of the acts that they've done to each other and their family members. His house is a whole mess. And then we find that the child that Bathsheba was carrying is born 11 days later the child dies so much so that she was taken advantage of by David and not only that she experiences grief twice the death of her husband Uriah and the death of her first child interestingly enough as well as as, as Uriah has died and she's in mourning David tries to play it up hey oh My troop commander, he died. But you know what? I'm going to care for his wife, so I'll marry her. Noble guy, right? You would think. Far from it. Far from it. And it's here that we see that later on, as Scripture says, he comforts her. They'll have another child, and that child is who? Solomon. Also known as what? one of the wisest guys ever, right? But it's a painful story of how when we let our own passions and we let, when we take our eyes off of God, man, bad things can happen. And it affected David's life. He could never ultimately recover. Even Absalom, his own son, was banished after killing his own brother and comes back and takes over David's throne, so much so that David has to escape. And it wasn't until sometime after that he finally came back and was able to put everything back together in some respects. But David was never the same after Bathsheba. Bathsheba faced betrayal, and she she experienced much grief. Jesus' lineage is filled with stories with, with shame, with pain. And yet Bathsheba, 
as well. She as well, though she suffered much, she was part of, she was able to play a part in the plan of salvation. Much like Ruth as well was able to play a part in the plan of salvation. Jesus' history, his lineage, is not perfect. It is filled with broken people who sometimes made some bad decisions. But yet, even in that, God still used them. Amen? So there is still hope. Now, thankfully enough, we have a little bit more time. Sorry. Then we finally get to Mary. Jesus' mother. And when we get to Mary, we find that she's most likely no older than a teenager, maybe 14, 15, 16 years old. Ladies, could you imagine carrying the Son of God at the age of 14, 15, 16? And then not only that, having him and then thinking about the fact that you have to care for, nurture, protect. And so much so that even when she found out that she was pregnant, Her betrothed, Joseph, he was thinking, how could you be pregnant? You and I have not been together yet, right? And so what does he want to do? He tries to divorce her because he was a righteous man. But it was only at the intervention of an angel that he says, no, this child is from God. And so Joseph, he cares for, he loves her. And so much so that the line actually went through him, not Mary, but Joseph, they both raise Jesus. Can you imagine facing the prospect being of raising the Savior of the world? To me, that's scary. But Mary, though she was young, and though she hadn't been married yet, she was given this responsibility. And at times it seemed that there was uncertainty but yet God was part of the plan. And yet there was also, when you look at their life, they couldn't just stay where they were. They had to run because they knew that their life was what? It was in danger. Three women, actually all five women, when we look back, we find Rahab, Tamar, Ruth, Bathsheba, Four women, most likely Canaanites or Gentiles, non-Israelite women, who played a part in the plan of salvation. Praise God that God's grace extends beyond more than we can normally think. And it's here that we find that all three, or I should say all five imperfect humans played a part in the plan of salvation. It's written, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name of which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. I thank God for what God is doing in our lives and that he has called us as well to share the good news, 
that a righteous Savior has come into this world. God doesn't use perfect people. God calls those who he wants to call. Whether they're equipped or unequipped, he will equip those to do his bidding. All of these women were not planning on being a part of the plan of salvation, but God knew, and God equipped them, and they faithfully carried out their task. May we as well have the faith of Ruth. And as well, at times, life is going to knock us down. Some of us have experienced betrayal. Some of us have experienced abandonment. Some of us have perhaps lost everything. But I can assure you this, that God is faithful. Just as he said that there would be a branch, a righteous branch, God is faithful today. He has been in the past, and he will be in the future. As we head towards Christmas, may you always be mindful of the real reason why we celebrate that it is Christ coming into this world and that he died for us and desires to live and have a part in our life with us now and forevermore. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing. God, we've looked at lives of those who are in your genealogy. And Lord, there are some stories that are sometimes, as we read, they're, they're hard to stomach of what happened. But yet, God, you are a faithful God. You do not leave nor abandon us. So be with us. Guide us. And as well, Lord, give us opportunities to share what you have done in our lives with others, that they may know that you are not just a God that is distant, but that you are, that you're not distant, but that, Lord, you are intervening and acting in our lives even now. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.